You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Uh, We have a couple readings today. The first one is from the book of Exodus, chapter 16. The people have just come through the Red Sea. They're delivered from Egypt, and you would think they would be super thankful that God delivered them, parted an ocean, and brought them safely to the other side, and here is what happens. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to him, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, and I love that Moses didn't talk to God yet. God's like, whoa, 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 Moses, before you do anything, I know they're frustrating. Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord." Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat me, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to each other, in English, what is it? But in Hebrew, what they said is, who is this on the ground? You hear that? They didn't say, what is this? They said, who? is this. For they did not know, again, in our translation, what it was, but really they did not know who it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The word of the Lord. A reading from the book of Philippians, Philippians 1, 21 through 30. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lori. Last week, I felt like the Lord said something to us that was quite profound. And the Lord said last week during the service, do not let blessing ruin what God began in difficulty. Do not let blessing ruin what God began in difficulty. When we were going through a past hard time, in the midst of that hard time, God showed up and told you that he was doing something in you through this difficult time. And you hold on to that word and you as the Bible says, you guard that word like a mother bear guards her cubs, and you tell people about that word, and you say, remind me about this word, and, and you know that God is doing something for you deep within your struggle, and then he starts to deliver you from the struggle, and as Walter Brueggemann says, prosperity breeds amnesia. Prosperity breeds amnesia. You started something inside me during time of difficulty that was so special, so unique, so intimate between me and the Lord, so special between you and that other person in your life, be it a friend, a spouse, a child, that you were going through it together. Something amazing. It, th there's, there's a relational quality that is formed when you're struggling with somebody else. As my cousin Brett says in his own way, I love when other people are struggling. It's like I go out and I say, oh, your kids are terrible too? Great, can we be friends? <laughs> There's a camaraderie that is formed between you and the Lord, between you and other people when you suffer. And then as the suffering is healed, as you make it through to the other side of the valley of the shadow of death, or you make it to the other side of the Sea of Galilee after the storm, all of a sudden... Prosperity breeds amnesia. The Israelite story is taken up into the story of Jesus. So Jesus is not the opposite of the Jewish people. Jesus is everything the Jewish faith was meant to look like perfectly. So therefore, Israel's story is taken up into Jesus' story, and because we belong to Christ, our stories get taken up into his stories. And so this story, this language that is given to us in the Hebrew scriptures, whether you realize it or not, it has become the language of your redemptive lives. How many have said, I'm going through something. What are you going through? And, and you have a thousand things to say. So you go, you know what? I'm going through a wilderness period in my life. It's given us language to say, I could use some streams in the desert. I'm going through a wayward time. 
we, we can use this Christian, this Jewish language because God gave it to us so that we could understand what we're going through. Not point the finger at people who went through it in the Bible, but know what we're going through. I want to talk for a little while today about the attack on our ability to be content with our lives. We are struggling to be content with our lives. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist tells the soldiers, the soldiers come to John the Baptist and say, what should we do? And John the Baptist says, essentially, stop being mean to people, stop intimidating them, and be what with your wages? Content. And be content with your wages. Well, that word content in the word that John used is to be strong and to be enough. He's saying to soldiers, be strong and know that you're enough. Because soldiers, when you know that you're enough, you won't have to use force to get more into your life to try to prove to yourself that you're enough. When you know that you're enough, you could see people not as threats to what you want, but as opportunities to bring the kingdom of God to. When we don't live contented lives, other people become either assets or liabilities. We use or push away people when we don't feel content, and I'm not talking about content with our clothes and our money. It starts with content that, know, that knows I'm strong and I'm enough. Why? Because God looked at you and said, I like what I made. It looks like me. It's strong and it's enough. In the world, well, you know what, hold on, I'll, I'll get there. I will get there. Don't try to pull me on a rabbit trail like that. I know, I see what you just did. Don't do that. When we're content, we know that we're strong, and we know that that strength is made perfect in our, and we know that we are enough because God's life is in us. That's what makes us enough. So when we're content, we don't have to do more to feel like we are more. That's a simple sentence. It's a life-changing one if we can say yes to it. When I'm content in who I am and who God made me to be, I don't need to do more, get more, acquire more, have more, to feel like I am more. As a matter of fact, if I'm not content, the more I do and the more I acquire, the less of myself I will be because lust robs us of who we are. It promises to make us more of ourselves, and it destroys us from the inside out. A lack of contentment looks like comparison, holding up your life against somebody else's life, accusation either over other people who are keeping you from your contentment, or accusation over yourself, waking up in the morning saying, if I was a better person, I would feel better about my life. Accusation comparison, and you're ready? Aversion to struggling. 
When Jacqueline was pregnant with Sophia, she had an aversion to clementines. <laughs> we were not allowed to have anything citrus for miles. Get it away, she said. We do the same thing with struggle. When we're not content, we don't want to struggle. And this may sound foreign, but there are two ways that we try to avoid struggling. We either try to move, change, shift, get a new job, get a new house, get a new relationship, wish that we could get new kids, buy ourselves some stuff, start this up, start that up, entrepreneur, this and that. And none of those things, hear me, hear me, none of them are wrong. But they're wrong. They, they become spoiled if we're doing them to try to make ourselves feel like we're more. Shifting, moving, restless, not content, not sleeping, surfing the internet, constantly trying to feed ourselves, even with positive information, but just a never-ending because we don't just want to sit and quietly have to live with the fact that we aren't content, which means we don't feel strong and we don't feel like we're enough. So we compare, we move, we shift, we start over. Every day feels like a January 1st. I'm going to start today. 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 300 days into the year, I'm going to start today. I'm going to start today. Or like me, I'm going to start on Monday. But I say that on Tuesday. So I have six days <laughs> to indulge before Monday. That's going to be the one. It never is. The title of my message today is Just Struggle. Just struggle. Stop trying to avoid the struggle. I was standing right there on Sunday. I'm watching people pray at the altar, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, they are exhausting themselves trying to find the formula of life that stops us from struggling. Jesus struggled from the time he was conceived until right now, if we are his body, guess what? Are you struggling right now? Yes. That means, and if you're the body of Christ, that means Jesus is still struggling. His life is like perfect goodness brought into the world that we're living in can't not struggle. The only way that we could avoid struggling, and this is tongue-in-cheek because you can't, would be to not have the life of Jesus in us, to conform to the world, to join its economy, to join its practices, and then go with the flow and not feel that there's any opposition because we're going the way of the secular world. If we're going to be Christians and walk the opposite way of the whirlpool, we're going to just struggle. Tell yourself now, I'm not wrong for struggling. Something didn't go wrong if I'm struggling. If another Christian, a beautiful soul, ever told you that if you do what God says, you won't struggle, just pray for them, but know that they've either lied to you or have been deceived themselves. 
don't tell them that, they're struggling too. That's probably why they're so obsessed with trying to get you to stop struggling because they can't get control of their own struggle. There are two ways that we avoid the struggle. We either move, switch, or we start to say things like, in an easy way, we start to say things like, man, if I could just get to Friday, if I could just get to the point where the kids are all in school, if I could just get to the point where they graduate, man, if we could just make it through college years, man, if I could just get to retirement, it will keep being pushed down because none of those things have anything to do with our contentment. So we keep pushing the ball down the field, unlike the New York Giants. We keep pushing the ball down the field, but this football field isn't 100 yards. It's an infinite amount of yards, and we'll keep pushing it down until we exhaust ourselves to death. The other way that we avoid struggle is to just wallow in it. Whatever. There's a little burst of freedom that comes for a moment when you say, if, I, if I'm the one spinning my wheels, if I'm the one trying so hard, and this is what happens, I'm going to join everybody else who isn't trying at all. Y'all aren't going to clean, I'm not going to clean. You're all going to mess up your diet, why am I trying? You're going to spend your money like crazy people and then come before God and not offer anything, I'm going to do the same thing. For a moment, you're like, this is great. But quickly, it leads to shipwreck. The answer is not move. Listen to me very carefully. If Adam and Eve lived in perfection and struggle showed up, where are you going to move to that's going to make your life better? Because here's the thing. The grass is not any greener on the other side. The grass is brown on both sides unless the Holy Spirit rains on it and the Son of Jesus shines on it. It's going to be brown no matter what side of retirement you find yourself on. No matter where your health is at. Oh, the grass would be greener if I was healthy. It wouldn't unless Jesus rains on that health. But he could rain on your sickness and make you just as fruitful as somebody who's unhealthy. That's what the kingdom of God says. And that's why we need to just struggle. We could end there, but we won't. Israel said, would that we have died in Egypt. Notice, their fear is not dying. You ready? This is going to be so simple. Their fear was not dying. Their fear was dying here. Hold on to this one with me. When they were in Egypt, they didn't want to die here. When they were brought to the wilderness, they didn't want to die here. When they go to the promised land, they didn't want to die here. You know why? Because when you're not content, you always despise the here and the now. You don't tell yourself the full story about the past, and you lustfully fantasize about the future. Would you like me to say that again? When you are not content, you despise the here and now, 
And I'm saying you rhetorically. I am preaching the things that God told me over the last many years of my life, okay? I'm included. You despise the here and now. You don't tell the full story about the past. And you lustfully fantasize about a synthetic future that is never going to happen. What did the Israelites say? Watch. Would that we had died in Egypt with full bellies. They're not telling the whole story. Because why? Because what were they in Egypt? Slaves. But when you're here, and Egypt is now back there, and you don't like the here, you fake tell a story about what it was like then. Has anybody, and you don't have to applaud to this, been you're not in a relationship anymore, and now that you feel a little lonely, you start fantasizing about the relationship you used to have that you wanted God to deliver you from, but now that you don't have it anymore, you tell yourself part of the stories, and maybe I should have stayed with them. You tell yourself part. When Balak wanted Balaam to curse Israel, read the story. When Balak wanted Balaam to curse Israel... Three times he showed him, and the Bible is crystal clear, a fraction of the people. If he showed Balaam all the people, if you see the whole story, you can't curse it. Let me stay on this for a moment. Somebody can only talk smack about a part of your life, but they can never do it about the whole thing. They don't know you like God knows you. They don't know you like you know you. And they don't know you like the family of God knows you. They can only take a fraction of your life out and criticize that. Because you can only curse a part of a thing. But you cannot curse the whole thing. Because the whole thing was made in God's image. So, Balak shows Balaam a fraction of Israel. Israel only tells Moses a part of their story. That's how you know you're struggling in the area of being content. All lack of contentment is against the Lord. It's not against your job. It's not against your spouse. It's not against your children or your health. It feels like it is and we take it out on those things. But if Jesus could be content on the night he was betrayed, then there's a contentment that transcends the transient things around you. All lack of contentment is against the Lord. What did Adam say? The woman you gave me caused me to sin. And then Eve's like, hold on. The serpent you made caused me to sin. And then the serpent was like, ah, I don't know. I'm going to lose. This is a losing battle for me. But we always do that. At the heart of our lack of contentment is the reality that we don't believe what God said about us to be true. That you deserve heaven even at your worst. Pastor, I know the world. You have to do something to be deserving. Yes, in the kingdom of man, you do. But in the kingdom of God, you're deserving because he said so. You can be content and still, listen to me, you can be content 
and still recognize that you're unfinished. You can be content and still recognize you need growth in your life. You can be content and still know you need to repair. You can be content and still know you made a lot of mistakes, and that's why you're in the situation you're in right now. As a matter of fact, contentment lets you see those things in spirit and in truth. Contentment allows you to see room for growth, but it doesn't allow you to hate the process. When you're content, you stand up and you look at the process and say, the Lord is going to join me and we are going to work this out and it's going to be good and he's going to drop a lot of goodies all along the way that I'm going to use for the rest of my life to bear witness to his redemptive love. Try to find one thing that is one of your go-to thoughts that God told you that wasn't forged in the crucible of suffering, namely your own mistakes. We have to stop trying to not mess up and start getting up when we mess up, learning that that is part of the process and God has something for you in the fall and in the rising of it. Willie James Jennings said this, hope is the discipline of our ordinary days. Hope is the discipline, the fight, the struggle of ordinary days. Say it like this, hope is the struggle of Tuesday at 11.32 a.m. Just a moment on the clock, hope is the struggle. Righteousness is the struggle. Knowing that God's doing something in the darkness that I can't see is the struggle. And if we try to avoid struggle, we avoid everything that has to do with Jesus. Just struggle. They prospered when they were called to Egypt. Notice at the end of Genesis, Israel is called to Egypt. And when they get there, they prosper. But then a time came where they were called someplace else. And now their place of prosperity became the place of slavery. So God called them out. And when he, they were there, they prospered. And when they were called out, they wanted to go back. But when they were called out, God revealed plagues to them. And after they saw the plagues, they grumbled. So God said, fine. I'll reveal myself to you in fire and smoke. They said, thank you, Jesus. And then when they got all the way out, they said, there's a sea here. And they grumbled. God said, here's what I'll do. I will, my presence will go from before you to behind you, stand in between you and the enemy. Good Lord, there may be somebody here who thinks that the presence of God was lost. You didn't lose the presence of God. The presence of God is now behind you, shielding you from something it doesn't want you to see. There's a free one for someone. You're not alone. It's just that the presence of God moved to block you from seeing something that's bearing down against you that can't even touch you if it wanted to. But it lets you see the Red Sea. And what do we do? We grumble. Then we go to sleep. Then we wake up, and the Red Sea is now two seas with a nice little straightaway in the middle. We should go down that. They do. Then those two walls crush their enemies, and they grumble. Well, we're hungry, which I get, <laughs> which I get. 
So God makes bread show up. Flip a few pages. They're like, we have no food. Moses is like, huh? They're like, well, all we have is manna. So you have food. You just don't feel like you have food when you stopped liking what you have. I have no friends. No, you just don't like the ones you have. I have no money. No, you just are terrible with the money you have. I... The Bible is entertaining. But Jesus went to Egypt and prospered there, was safe there, and married in Grumble. He was called out of Egypt. Herod's killing everybody, and they didn't grumble. He was sent by the Holy Spirit into the very wilderness. And he was standing on the very sand that the prophecy of him called manna landed on years before, and he didn't grumble. He hung on a cross, and what does it say in Hebrews? For the joy and the glory that was set before him, he despised the shame. When you are in the place that you are called to be, you will struggle. But listen to this. We're not putting a picture because this is my quote, <laughs> and I, I told Ian to put it up there. I'd rather struggle in the place of my calling than be fortunate in the place of my doing. Let that sink in for a moment. I'd rather struggle where I'm called than be fortunate in a place that I made for myself. I'm going to read you some of my dialogue on this. I'd rather struggle for a lifetime through my worst day with Jacqueline than have one night of bliss with someone I'm not supposed to be with. I owe you like 10 billion more of those, so bring it in there. I'd rather struggle making not enough money in the place of my calling than be fortunate in the place of my choosing. Just let the burden come off your back. Be where you are called, not where you will be the most lucrative. Because when you are plugged into where you're called, struggle becomes mission. When you are plugged into a place you made for yourself, Struggle becomes depression. Be where he called you so that struggle can be motivating. I'd rather struggle in a Christian community than be fortunate in a place isolated from other people. Ready? I'd rather struggle spending time with my family than be fortunate in a life that never lets me come home. I wish I didn't write this stuff. I'd rather have manna in the wilderness than eat well as a slave in Egypt. Stop trying to avoid 
struggling. Be where you're called. There are people where you are standing in the place you were called and it has gotten so stale and it's gotten so underwhelming that you feel like you are called someplace else and you don't realize that you're about to back your way into Egypt again. You cannot know by yourself where you are called. It takes the discernment of the body of Christ that he's placed you in to know where you're called. Because sometimes you could be called to very obvious places. Sometimes you could be called to very obvious places, but function in those places in very unobvious ways. This was an obvious place for me. Well, let me rephrase. Being a pastor was an obvious place for me to end up. Being pastor here wasn't in the cards. It's not a struggle. I love you guys. We're never stressed or annoyed with anybody here in this room. Sometimes you're right where you should be, and you start to get this feeling in you that now you can finally do it your way there. So you could be in the place where you're called to be, but then have to function in that place underneath someone who's doing it not the way you would. And God is saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I called you there. I knew they would be over you. Struggle. I'm just trying to release you of things. We fight battles we have no business fighting. It's not about me and the way that I would do it. It's about being where God would have me and functioning the way he, through the counsel of many, is saying I should function in any given season. And it is often not how we would do it. But there are too many of us making decisions, big life decisions, autonomously by ourselves. If you're right, you'll be right by accident. Don't take those chances. Let's stand to our feet this morning. St. Vincent said this, speaking about Jesus' Eucharist. From his most holy wounds, as St. Bernard says, he opens four founts, the fount of mercy, the fount of peace, the fount of devotion, and the fount of love. How do we get more content, Pastor? You drink from the fountain of mercy, peace, his devotion to you. How many struggle to do their devotionals in a day? Come on, be honest. Let's be honest. Come on, yeah. Let's say, I like, I like that. Say it out loud. Somebody say me. Me. <laughs> Here's the thing. You ready? I'll let you off the hook for one Sunday. Jesus doesn't struggle to do his devotionals ever. He spends time every day with the people he's devoted to. You. When he's with you, he's doing his devotionals. Come on. Come on. When he's telling you about your life, he's reading your life as a devotional. He never misses his devotionals. It's you. 
where you are, however you are, whenever you are, you're his devotion. You're everything to him. God's kids are everything to him. All the time. They're his whole world. Just close our eyes for a moment. When you come to this table right now, you're coming to the fountain of mercy, peace, devotion, and love. We're thirsty for so many things. This bread is the bread that lets us know we're strong and we're enough. So work on yourself. Repent. Build. Build a life. Work at getting yourself organized. Health-wise, financially, relationally, do all, none of those things are bad, but do it from love, not for it. Do it from knowing that you are strong and that you are enough. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, this is what contentment looks like. On the night when Jesus, first when he was faced with 5,000 people and a sandwich, you can see what contentment looks like when he holds up that tiny little meal and says, Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this meal. On the night when he's betrayed, he looks down into this dish and he sees the whole world shattered and broken. And then he also sees his whole life shattered and broken. He sees everything broken. And he holds it up. And he says, thank you. For what, Jesus? They're betraying you. Thank you for them. They're denying you. Thank you for them. They're going to wag their hands in your face. They're going to mock you, lie to you, take you to a nighttime court. You're going to have what should be a mistrial, and it's going to sentence you to death. That's what they're going to do. Thank you for them. Father, forgive them. I'm so thankful for them. Forgive them. That's what being content looks like. Walter Brueggemann said it this way. Of all the things you could say about this meal, this holy sacrament, weird words like calling it a sacrament or calling it Eucharist. He says this. He says, isn't it interesting that for 2,000 years, the number one most holy action is simply called, if you translate it from the Greek, a sacrament called thank you. Eucharist. Eukara. To give thanks. It means thank you. The church has survived 2,000 years of persecution against it and its own sins in a sacrament called thank you. You can struggle because Christ is thankful for you 
and is offering you that same gratitude back to him and for each other. That's why Paul says, I'm going, I'd rather die and be with Jesus, but I'm going to stay alive and live in the fellowship of his sufferings because it means blessing for you. Forget about what you're trying to get through for you. Whatever you're struggling with is so that your life can become a blessing for somebody else. A lack of contentment makes my struggle about me and me getting through it. But this moment of the Eucharist was Jesus going through the world's most cataclysmic struggle, and he did it all, not for him, but for the Father and for us. Struggle. It's one of the most holy things we can do. Don't submit to it and wallow in it. Don't try to avoid it. Struggle with all his energy through it. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and make this bread your body and blood, the food and drink of new and unending life in you. I pray that you would forgive us of all of our sins, forgive us for our grumbling, our complaining, our accusing even of ourselves. Let this bread and the spirit that is filling it animate us to be thankful, to have the joy of our salvation renewed, to be upheld by having willing spirits in our lives so that we could impact the world around us this week. Let the world around us know you can struggle. It's okay. There's somebody struggling with you. He's got holes in his hands and his feet, stripes on his back. He's really good at struggling. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. I'm going to ask Elder Ron and Elder George to come. This side of the room, you can come and see Elder George. This side of the room, you can come and see Elder Ron. Receive contentment and gratitude this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.